Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, Episode 91, Creating New Value Through Remix Strategy. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hey, good morning, Pam. It's great to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. And if you're listening for the first time, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to their next level of growth and success. So Pam, what are we exploring today? How companies can be reconfigured in so many new ways to create value for customers, investors, and all of the many stakeholders that companies touch these days. Yeah, it's a real kaleidoscope. And of course, there are all the forms that M&A, mergers and acquisitions can take. There are all the flavors of joint ventures, alliances, other partnering, Mm -hmm. not to mention the various kinds of restructuring company uh, reordering that can go on and reconfiguration. There are so many variations and choices that it's almost mind-boggling. That's right. The trick, of course, is to do this so that the interests of all the stakeholders are served to the greatest extent possible. Sometimes a challenge of it. (laughs) Not an easy feat. And that's why we are so happy to be speaking today with Ben Gomez-Caceres. He is an expert in the strategy of business combinations and recombinations, who's been studying, teaching, and consulting on this topic for 30 years. Ben has published five five books, and many academic and managerial articles. His newest book is called Remix Strategy, The Three Laws of Business Combinations. He's a professor at the International Business School of Brandeis University. Previously, he was a professor at Harvard Business School, and before that, an economist at the World Bank. Ben holds degrees from Harvard, Princeton, and Brandeis. A native of Curacao, he speaks four languages. And you can see Ben's complete bio by going to growthignitersradio.com, selecting episode 91 and scrolling down to resources. Ben, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Thank you, Pam and Scott. Good morning. It's a real pleasure to be talking with you today. Oh, we are so glad to be talking with you about this because it's such a big thing that's happening in the environment, I think, especially right now, and especially with so many of our listeners. So, Before we get into Remix Strategy, tell us a little bit about your background and what prompted you to write this book. Well, thank you. Uh, Pam, I think my whole life has been a remix of sorts. Uh, Coming coming from uh, from Curacao, which is a Dutch island in the Latin American corner of the Caribbean. We learn uh, to remix cultures and ideas uh, from birth. Uh, and, And essentially... I've been working in this field now for 30 years uh, as an academic, as a consultant, uh, as a professional. And the field uh, has really been about alliances, partnerships, acquisitions, uh, the ways in which companies reach out from their borders to other companies to Mm -hmm. create new value. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this book, I'm really trying to in a way, simplify this kaleidoscope that you described, Scott. Uh, You know, the world is complex, but we need simple rules uh, to navigate it. And that's what I'm trying to do in the book. 
That's great. So how does uh, the concept of remix strategy relate to the greater idea of corporate strategy and how companies do their business? Right. Yes, that's essentially what I'm trying to address because it's really a strategic question. So what I mean by remix, just to clarify that a little bit, I'm using it in an unconventional way. Mm-hmm. You know, the word remix come out of art or music where mm-hmm. where musicians will take tracks from one song and uh, remix it with the tracks from another song and right. create something new. Yep. So uh, essentially, from a strategy point of view, when a company looks outside of its boundaries uh, for new assets or for new capabilities or to gain access to some services that it doesn't have itself. What it's trying to do is to link that up with its internal assets and capabilities and in a way remix that bundle. I think of the world as having a, you know, a series of combinations and strategy is about making the right combination and managing that combination for success. Oh, absolutely. So how has the strategy of creating new value through these business combinations evolved over the years? Yeah, well, in a way, it's always been with us. Um, If we go back in history, we will always find companies um, acquiring, merging, divesting, and forming joint ventures of various sorts. Uh, What I think has happened is that there's been some important trends, uh, underlying trends around technology, the rise of certain technologies, and and also around globalization, the rise Mm -hmm. of important power centers, economic centers all over the world, that has forced everybody to do this kind of strategy. And that has also expanded the types of deals, the formats that we see through which Remix can take place. So today we have not just joint ventures, which are traditional, but we have alliances of various sorts and partnerships and sourcing and channel arrangements and ecosystems Mm -hmm. that are very complex and that involve lots of partners. And that, in a way, is the old trends, but now coming uh, on steroids uh, (laughs) at us. Yes, that's true. In fact, it's something that we see as well. And we've been noticing an increase in it. Can you tell us a little bit about what you would predict if you were gazing into a crystal ball about the future of uh, this type of arrangement? Yeah, I don't think there is an end in sight for it. Uh, In fact, I think that uh, the notion that companies uh, do things internally themselves and rely on their own uh, best efforts uh, is dying. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think that even the form of competition where we think of our competitors as another firm, Mm -hmm. even that idea of one firm competing against another firm, mano a mano, so to speak, uh, is also dying. And increasingly, we have competition between groups of firms, between me and my allies and partners Mm -hmm. uh, versus another firm with its allies and partners. And I think that is uh, the wave of the future. And so we better learn how to do this. It'll be different kind of business. It'll be a different way of managing. And I think that's what we need to learn and what I'm trying to help uh, managers to do. Okay, so what is uh, powering this evolution? Yeah, so I think what's powering it is really the, the rise of so many new ideas and mm-hmm. new business models and new sources of economic value. Mm-hmm. Uh, in every business today, we need to think outside of our traditional business to see really not just where the competitors are coming from, new competitors coming from different businesses and different industries, but where the sources of new value can be created. So there are more ways to create complementary one plus one is three yeah. kind of combinations outside of our traditional industry. And I think that's, again, happening uh, not just because of technology and software, but also because of the rise of uh, emerging markets and uh, and globalization uh, as part of the important underlying trends that are driving this. Okay, well, we've already pointed out how complex this is. And as you said, 
trying to get some simplicity in the complexity so that more effective decisions can be made, more effective relationships can be built. That's really important. And you've developed three laws of remix strategy that we'll talk about in our next segment at greater depth. But how did you come to conceive of these laws? Yeah, well, it's been, I guess, an effort of uh, boiling it down. I know that there are many complicating factors in any combination, any joint ventures or any merger. And they range from cultural to personal to economic and finance, regulation, laws. And and so in a way, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the complexity. Mm -hmm. At the same time, when I look at the research, and I am a a researcher as well as as a practitioner, when I look at the research, there are some important ideas. There are important ideas about how you create value, how Mm -hmm. you manage a combination, uh, and how you, in a way, return the value to the stakeholders. And what I tried to do in the book is to apply these theoretical ideas in a way, but boil them down so they are accessible to every reader and give them a roadmap that consists, as as we'll talk about, about those three laws. uh, And those laws will help you navigate the complexities uh, that undoubtedly will face you. So as complicated as this really is, there Mm -hmm. is a way to make it simpler to understand and to navigate our way through it. And that's that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. So we're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we'll talk more with Ben Gomez Caceres, author of Remix Strategy, about the three laws of business combinations. Stay with us. We're so glad you're joining us on Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, and we're on the web at businessadvance.com. We focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum in their companies for game-changing results. Does this topic resonate with you? Well, we have more. Check out related episodes to expand your perspectives and take away even more immediately actionable ideas. Just go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 91, and scroll down to resources. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly alert of upcoming episodes so you'll always be up to date. Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with Ben Gomez Caceres, author of Remix Strategy, about creating maximum value from new business combinations. Ben, how can people find out more about you and your books? Well, thank you for asking, Pam and Scott. So the book is called Remix Strategy. It is published by Harvard Business Review Press. It is available on Amazon. It's available from Harvard Business Review Press. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is uh, available in their additional materials and, and articles on my website, which is www.remixstrategy.com. And there you'll find blogs, videos, uh, and uh, in the future, uh, this, uh, this podcast too. Great. Sounds good. And of course, you can access this also by visiting growthignitersradio.com and going to episode 91. So, in the first segment, we discussed the concept of remix strategy. Let's dig deeper into what you've termed the three laws of business combinations. Yes, thank you. So, so the three laws are, they're going to sound simple 
but they're complex to apply. So the first law is really that there has to be the potential to create value from the combination. This means the usual one plus one is three. Mm -hmm. And I use that little math, and I'll have other ways of thinking about the other laws that are similar to that. But one plus one is three really means that when I take my capabilities, my assets, together with someone else's capabilities and assets, however I combine that, either through a merger or an acquisition or through an alliance partnership or other form, Mm -hmm. uh, I can create more value or we can create more value together. That means either better uh, products, a better quality, um, more innovation, or sometimes lower cost, any ways of increasing the growth of our business and the efficiency in our business by working together with a complementary set of assets that so far are still outside our firm. Okay, well, that sounds very straightforward. What makes this challenging, though? I think the challenge is to really understand what you're good at and what the other partner is good at and why the combination of the two will create value. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in other words, if we see our core competency as uh, IT services, just for example, it's not, but uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just say it were, and mm-hmm. another company was IT services, mm-hmm. but maybe a little different, mm-hmm. would that be something that would be harder for them to find that joint value? Or would you say, how yeah, would they I, navigate that? Yeah, they would navigate that. See, joint value comes in, in different um forms. If it's two companies that are similar in some way, like the ones you just described, Mm -hmm. it could be that their joint value is by creating a larger scale or a scope of business. And because of that, they may be able to be more efficient, reach more customers, or lower their costs. So joint value can come from that. Joint venture can also come from a very different kind of business. Let's say I'm in the software business and you're in the hardware business. Then when we come together in some way, we're not increasing the scale of my business or yours, but we are making a linkage. Mm -hmm. And by making that linkage, our product may be better. We may be able to develop things faster and reach markets that we weren't able to reach on our own. That's a sort of a complementary rather than a similar product kind of combination. So the logic of what creates joint value will vary. And I think the challenge is in being very clear about that, in having those goals clear, and in trying to quantify it as much as you can, because that's the target that we're going to shoot for when we try to apply the other two laws. And I can really see where having that clear strategy makes a big difference, because if we know where we're trying to go strategically, Mm -hmm. now we understand why it makes sense to have a strategic partner as opposed to developing a capability organically, for instance. Absolutely. And we also know, therefore, what's important to keep our eye on in terms of integration or better coordination. There are those important assets that need to be combined in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important that we're using the word strategic over and over again, because even if you have a supplier or you have someone who uh, is providing a service, It's still part of the remix, and the more that both parties think of it as strategic and not just a vendor relationship, and both parties understand each other's strategy, you're just going to have a better relationship, and it's going to work more smoothly, and you're going to be able to look out over the horizon much more effectively. Scott is absolutely Mm -hmm. talking about something that we hear a lot. When we went out and spoke with a number of people uh, and surveyed them about strategic alliances and the senior executive level of uh, satisfaction with this, there was a high level of dissatisfaction. It could in part come from that, could it not, if people don't understand what they're trying to accomplish? 
Absolutely. I think, you know, the dissatisfaction that we sometimes hear uh, about partnerships has to do that this is not business as usual. Right. Firms are usually organized to manage their internals and managers know how to uh, manage uh, divisions that uh, report to them. What's harder is um, managing and governing a relationship with a party that is outside your firm. And even though that is now required, so Mm -hmm. by the strategy, it is a new world. Uh, And I think it takes uh, getting used to and it takes training um, to really get good at it. Okay, so that really segues into your second law of remix Mm -hmm. strategy, which is governing the collaboration. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So the first law, as I said, was the potential to create one plus one is three. Right. The second one, I like to say, is the rule there is one plus one is one. Uh, and, and by that, I, I don't mean that the value is only one. I mean that we now need to act as if we were one. We are us. We are us. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Uh, and, and that, of course, becomes more and more challenging the more difference there is between us and the more diversity there is in our grouping. If we have multiple partners, then that becomes an even greater challenge. But strategically, we might have to do that in order to grow and to innovate. And so how do we govern that collaboration? How do we design it? What kinds of rules of engagement do we have with our partners? How do we manage it? What uh, resources do we put in place for relationship management? And of course, importantly, how do we let this governance evolve and grow and change over time? Because one thing that we know is that the world will be different tomorrow or a year from now than it is now when we first signed that contract. And so we have to have a contract which is flexible enough and a governance system that is able to adjust itself to new conditions. And I think that's part of the challenge that faces all kinds of partnerships. Yeah, so clarity is so very important and surfacing assumptions that we're making so that we aren't surprised. Mm -hmm. And also there's deciding what exact model is right, Mm -hmm. whether you're doing an alliance, a merger, uh, some other arrangement. How do you do that? That's an important question. It's a spectrum of relationships that we ought to feel comfortable with. And that spectrum goes from a simple transaction that is fairly clean cut. You might say it's a buy-sell kind of arrangement uh, to a complete merger integration on the other side of that spectrum, which is obviously a whole organizational transformation. In between, we have a lot of different kinds of deals that may take the form of a joint venture, perhaps, or co-promotion or co-development or preferred partner relations, supplier relations, preferred channels, things like that. And all of these, in a way, uh, they're not as simple as that transactional that I described in the beginning, and they're not as deep and complex as a full merger. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they require careful governance nonetheless. And I think it's that middle zone that we are seeing now becoming more and more popular and more and more important for strategists and and also feels the most um, foreign from our traditional way of doing business. Where we see it is there's the most Uh, potential for misunderstanding. A Mm. lot of people bandy about the idea of being in an alliance, and it's not really an alliance. Mm. And that's what I like about your book so much, is that you really describe this, all the different forms of relationships and what goes into them. It clarifies on such a profound level, an incredibly helpful thing. So let's talk about the third law, sharing the value created. 
So the third law, again, will, will sound simple, but it's hard to implement and to master. And the issue here is that we have the potential to create value. Let's assume that's law number one. Uh, we found a way to design and manage the collaboration so that that value, in fact, can be realized. That's law number two. And now we have to, we, we have to split the pie, not in a, a confrontational way, but each party must earn something from their contribution. Otherwise, they will not have the motivation to right. continue to contribute to it. So the third law really is to share the value in a way that maintains the incentives and the motivation of both parties or three parties or whoever many uh, to continue to contribute to it. And the, the simple formula there is not one and one is three. It's not one and one is one. It really is one plus one equals, now it gets complicated, 1.4 plus 1.6 or something like that. Right. Some, some division of value. And it doesn't have to be 50-50. Uh, obviously, many partnerships are not 50-50. They right. could be 40-60, like I just said. Or, or 2080 or some other formula. But we need to be able to divide and let each stakeholder, in a way, earn their fair value of, of what they contributed. And I imagine that's shaped by the impact of the different partners, the amount of risk that each one is taking on, and, and so on. Yes, it certainly is. I mean, in a way, it, it's a little bit at the negotiating table that this gets split up. But more important than that, as I mentioned already, these things change over time very right. dramatically. And so just as the, the, the environment might change and the nature of joint value that's created might go up and down, the way we govern it is going to be adjusted. And so, too, the share of value that's going to accrue to one side or the other might well evolve. And so, in a way, the the more we contribute to making this partnership successful, each of us, the more, in a way, we can take out of it. Ah. It's, you get out of it what you put in. And so if there are partners that don't put much in, it's possible that their earnings will, will deteriorate and the partners that really make it work are more likely to be the ones that are going to be successful earning something from the combination. So these are really three common sense laws that govern business combinations. Uh, of course, a lot to it. And uh, your book really highlights a lot of this. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I will talk more with Ben Gomez-Casares, author of Remix Strategy, about immediately actionable things that you can do to create maximum value from new business combinations. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum for game-changing results. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. If you're finding this discussion of getting the most from your business combinations useful, we invite you to download our free special report, Building Powerful Strategic Alliances, which is very complementary to what we've been talking about. We developed our findings and conclusions based on responses from senior executives in over 15 industry sectors. While strategic partnering is becoming more important than ever before, over half of the senior executives we surveyed were dissatisfied with the outcomes. They needed to read Ben's book and <laughs> uh, find out why and what we found out you can do to increase your return on your partnering investment. So learn more by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 91. Scroll down to the resources section and click on the link Download Strategic Alliances Report. And feel free to contact us if you have any questions.
Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Scott and I have been talking today with Ben Gomez Caceres, author of Remix Strategy, about creating maximum value from new business combinations. Ben, can you tell us again how people can find out more about you and your books? Of course. Thank you, Pam and Scott. So the book is called Remix Strategy, The Three Laws of Business Combinations. It's published by Harvard Business Review Press. It's available on Amazon.com as well as other booksellers. And the book, as well as a lot of other material that's related to it, is on my website, www.remixstrategy.com. Okay. Well, let's get back to our conversation. So we're at the point of our episode where we like to get into the three immediately useful ideas. And you had a few points that you thought might be helpful. What would be the first one related to, say, identifying potential joint value? Yeah. So um, let me say that the book has 20 tools in it, which uh, try to help you navigate through the complexities by uh, applying the laws in more specific ways than we've been able to Mm. talk about today. And one of the things that I think strikes me when I talk to people and work with their partnerships is that we need good chemistry between people for these partnerships to work. Uh, We know that. At the same time, good chemistry can lead to bad partnership decisions. I think we have to be careful about that, that uh, when we come to actually creating a deal and finding joint value, it needs to be subjected to some very serious strategic uh, reasoning. And we shouldn't base it purely on the fact that we do get along well uh, with the other party. That's a very important uh, prerequisite. But at the same time, we have to work out what the strategic goals are and economic value so that one in one is three actually happens. That would be one. So you have to avoid strategic infatuation, if you will. That's a good way of putting it. Absolutely right. I see so many people who will say, I met this person. They were great, just like you said. Mm -hmm. And this really seems like a great idea for us. I hadn't thought of it before. Mm -hmm. First... First thing to do is go back to your strategy. Absolutely. Go back to your strategy. And some of the questions that you ask yourself uh, may may be tough to ask if you, as you say, are infatuated with the idea. But it's due diligence that needs to be done. And at the same time, the other part that may be hard is sometimes to even explore options with other partners or potential partners. That, That doesn't mean go out and negotiate with five people at the same time. It just means strategically to think through that before you tie up in some way that you understand that this is actually a good fit. It's a good strategic fit, operational fit, economic fit, Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, personal fit. But don't rely purely on the chemistry factor. That would be one. And the second one is, uh, and I actually wrote a short blog uh, about uh, what we just discussed. And there's another one that that I just recently wrote about, uh, which is that the contract is too important to be left to the lawyers. Uh Uh, So the contract, or, or however you find an arrangement that's put on paper, what matters there is how you manage it. And what matters there is is the business model behind it. And therefore, it's not going to be all in the fine print. Even though you have good lawyers, um, they're not going to be able to solve all of the challenges that a partnership will face in the future. In fact, we know that all contracts of this sort are in some sense incomplete. They in some sense have gaps in them that will need to be addressed by managers that are working together well in the future. And so therefore, let's not rely purely on that contract, but let's make sure we put in place good governance relationships relationships that enable us to uh, address those open open parts of the contract. Absolutely. Before I uh, joined Pam's firm, I did a lot of deals 
uh, with uh, companies. And one of the things I frequently said is if you have to turn to the contract, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. so, so let's go to a second uh, practical idea about governance. How, how can we really get our hands into thinking about how we're going to govern a, a combination? Yeah, well, I think it's closely related to what we just discussed. And realize that governance is there in order to make up for the things that are not decided in advance in the contract uh, agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, uh, there has been two Nobel Prizes uh, awarded last week uh, for economists that have studied this area of what we call incomplete contracting. Uh, and so it's very, very relevant. Uh, the deep theory that they have, although I make it uh, very accessible in the book, but the theory says that the world is too complex for us to know exactly what this deal will look like uh, six months or a year or two years from now. Okay. And so good governance means to put in place mechanisms that will allow us to make decisions in the future for questions that we haven't even thought about when we sat down at the table. And that kind of governance, where you have sometimes a governing board, sometimes a steering committee in a joint venture, there'll be an actual formal corporate board that has a representation from both sides. That kind of governance system is what allows you to go with the flow and to deal with new opportunities, as well as new challenges, but very often new growth opportunities that we did not foresee at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the good alliances, the good deals that are done are those that have evolved so that they come up with new answers and new solutions and new opportunities that they hadn't even thought about in the beginning. Mm, the ones that don't work out are the ones that are stuck in, a, in the old model that don't change and that don't go yeah. with the flow. That's absolutely true. I think the other thing that what you're talking about goes to as well is this issue of mutuality. You know, we're in this together. One of the things that came out of our study was that there were partners that did not feel that they had a mutual relationship. They were calling it uh, the same thing, say, an alliance, but meaning something entirely different. One's an outsourced provider. The other really thinks it's an alliance. Do you see governance the way you're talking about it, addressing some of that issue? As a mutual <laughs> yes. effort. A absolutely, because what happens to that partner that feels they are not getting their fair share or being listened to sufficiently? Yeah. That partner is going to withdraw. That partner is going to, uh, you know, not cooperate, not contribute the extra ideas, not contribute the extra effort in order to make the combination work. And so the whole thing will begin to spiral downward. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, in a way, that's an application of my third law that you need to have good earnings and involvement from all sides. And that feeling of mutuality, that feeling, in a way, of fairness uh, mm -hmm. is, is what keeps uh, all parties, you know, working together uh, for, for the common good. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about an immediately useful idea for sharing the value created. How can partners work together on that? Well, partly the, the main thing is to understand the other party's point of view, to walk in their shoes and to understand you know, what it is that, that they see in it or what they want out of it so that you know, when you come up with certain uh, goals or changes that you'd like to the, the relationship, you can almost predict what they want and work out an amicable way of resolving any kind of conflict. So I think the, the thing to do is to manage the conflicts well because there will be conflicts. 
most of these partnerships, even though they start, as you say, with infatuation, over time, there will be challenges that we think differently about the solution for that. And those challenges need to be addressed. And we don't want to escalate or go to arbitration or exit or break up because we couldn't find a way to agree. And so finding the other side, seeing it from the other side, and then working through it for the common good is probably the, the best way to go about it. So the ability to really foster an environment that allows for deep, open, frank conversations around these issues is yes. so critical to the success. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely right. There's another corollary to that, another part of that, mm -hmm. which is that this kind of relationship building is not only something that takes place between uh, my company and my partner. Right. It also takes place inside my company. Yes, absolutely. And, and one of the causes of failure that we often see, even though an alliance may be, may be managed well in a way at the interface between the parties, sometimes internal coordination uh, between mm -hmm. our different levels of management, perhaps, or yeah. different functions uh, that need to contribute to the totality, or others that feel threatened by the relationship from inside the company. All of those need to be brought uh, in line in order for this external relationship to work out. And so one of the rules of success here is to manage the internal, make sure that everybody is on the same page, in both in the deal-making and in managing the relationship over time. Absolutely. We've seen that as well. Yes. So maybe going back and having a meeting with your team about what it means to lead an alliance for starters or some yeah. other form of business combination. Well, Ben, this has been great. Can you uh, share with us any final thoughts on this topic? I know it's huge. Remix strategy. Yeah, so I think um, in a way we have to open our minds to the idea that there are great ideas out there that are not part of our organization. And we have to find ways to appreciate them and then make them in a way useful for us. And the way we do that can take many, many different forms. And what I try to do in this book is to give a roadmap to some of the important tools for creating that kind of remix, that creating combinations that create value in the end for customers. Ben, thank you so much again for being our guest today. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to interacting uh, with your listeners, too. Ben, thanks so much, and thanks to you out there for listening. To get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, including downloads, go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 91. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to consider with your team. What conversations do we need to start today inside and outside our company to determine how we can create even more value in our business combinations. Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.